The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I'm delighted to welcome back uh, Dr. Louis Fatui, an author and researcher in Islamic studies and comparative religion. You're most welcome, sir. Thank you, Paul. Delighted to be back. Thank you very much. Salaam alaikum uh, for those who, who don't know, uh, Dr. Fatui was born in uh, Baghdad in Iraq and migrated to the UK in the 90s. Uh, he has a PhD in astronomy from Durham University, one of Britain's leading universities. And he came originally from a Christian family, but reversed to Islam in his early 20s. He's published over 25 books in English and Arabic in Islamic studies and published over 20 research papers in cosmology and applied historical astronomy and on the Islamic calendar. Now, today, um, he has kindly agreed to discuss a fascinating subject, the leadership of the prophet upon whom be peace. Now, I've always been uh, struck uh, by a verse in the Quran uh, that addresses uh, the prophet with these beautiful words. And I'm just going to read from uh, the clear uh, Quran. And this is from the third surah, the family of Imran, verse 159, where it reads in English, it is out of God's mercy that you, O prophet, have been lenient with them. Had you been cruel or hard-hearted, some translations have harsh, they would have certainly abandoned you. So pardon them, ask God's forgiveness for them, and consult with them in conducting matters. Once you make a decision, put your trust in God. Surely God loves those who trust in him. And we were just saying before we uh, we came on, on air, so to speak, uh, you know, that even if we didn't have this verse, the fact that, you know, uh, his uh, the prophet upon whom he peace his followers, you know, Ali, Uthman, Omar, right from the beginning, stayed with him all the way through his extraordinary life up to, to Medina until his death, just shows that he didn't alienate people with harshness or cruelty and so on. Even if we didn't have that verse, we could probably deduce that this was the prophet's character and how much that can teach us today, very much if, if we are working in teams, working with other people, um, uh, his character can really uh, inform us about how best to, to live. Anyway, I don't want to steal your thunder, sir. So um, perhaps you'd like to introduce us to this fascinating subject. Over to you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Um, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, you're absolutely uh, spot on, uh, Paul, with this particular verse. It's actually the subject uh, of this discussion. And um, we picked it kind of separately because we both perceived in it um, those character attributes that we know the Prophet ﷺ had and were very unique and very special. Mm, mm. Now, we, we, we're calling this leadership, and I actually call this particular verse uh, the Muhammadi leadership verse. That's what I like to call it. And um, when we talk about leadership, when the term leadership is mentioned in association 
with our Prophet والسلام, the, the first image that comes to mind is often his military leadership. Mm. And that happens uh, for obvious reasons that uh, he achieved a lot of success as a military leader. Uh, those successes obviously helped in establishing Islam. And uh, even when you read actually Islamic literature, uh, the term in Arabic we call qiyada or uh, in English leadership is always kind of comes up in the context of talking about his military skills as a, as a military leader. Mm-hmm. Now, the, mm-hmm. of course, when then you move to talk about non-Muslim um, concept of discussion of Muhammad's leadership, you have then the distortion that comes on top of that because he's obviously the image of the Prophet and Islam is always associated with violence. So on the one hand, you have this confinement of the concept of leadership to military activities. And then you've got then the prejudice uh, and the distortion of what happened really historically by then associating uh, violence with Islam uh, and the Prophet Yet the reality is that we all know, Muslims, non-Muslims, is that for 14 years, he was a leader. He was a social, spiritual, and political leader. His military leadership and skills came into operation only in the last third of his mission. Mm. So it's to say the least, it's really unfair when we think of the Prophet as a leader and his military leadership comes to the fore because it isn't actually. It's actually that started later. In those seven years, he did experience or six or seven years, uh, seven years, uh, kind of exercised his military leadership. But during that time, he was still the same spiritual, Mm. social uh, and political leader. So these are really the main aspects uh, of leadership. So in this in this discussion, what I'm hoping is to focus more uh, on that side of the Prophet والسلام, that side of his leadership. Okay. And as you mentioned, Paul, this is the verse that uh, that you read earlier. Um, and here's the verse in Arabic. And I'm going to read it in Arabic for those who can also follow in Arabic. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَمْ فَضُّوا مِنْ حَوْلِكَ فَاعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُتَوَكِّلِينَ uh, it may be translated as, it's by mercy from Allah that you have been gentle with them. Had you been rude and hard? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store check out daily promotions same game parlays live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Parted. They would have they would have dispersed from around you. So pardon them, ask for forgiveness for them, and consult them about matters. Then when you make a firm decision, put your trust in Allah. Allah loves those who trust him. Mm. So this is the, the verse that mm. uh, we're going to focus on. However, of course, we, gonna, we are going also uh, to quote other verses, hadith, uh, and also certain events from the biography of the Prophet ﷺ, so we can develop um, a full picture. Uh, this verse, uh, I find it not only beautiful in what it tells us about the Prophet ﷺ, but it's immensely rich in details mm-hmm. and meaning. Mm. Uh, it's very short, relatively short, but it really says a lot about him uh, and about his leadership. And that's what I'm going to kind of try to do today by looking at different parts of it um, and then try and extract as much information about the Prophet as possible. That's uh, a form of tafsir, if you like, um, exegesis. Now, I would like to say a couple of words about not only this verse, but this verse and verses similar to it. These verses talk about, they describe the Prophet ﷺ, but from the perspective as well of those who lived with him. And that is really a very kind of important thing to, to kind of um, uh, highlight about these verses because they are reporting perceptions and experiences of people. In other words, these verses and uh, why, what they claim to uh, to do here would be just, I think if I just remove from screen, yeah, that's, can just um, see you more and uh, speak to you, Paul. Uh, so uh, w- w- these verses are different from other verses in that they, you can look at them and say, they, they kind of lend themselves more uh, to historical verification because if what they report was incorrect, inaccurate, and what they report is perceptions, experiences of people who lived with the Prophet these could only be then backfire. And Mm. they would effectively say, well, people would come out and say, yeah, but that's not what this verse says. He's not like that. And we have a problem. And what I'm trying to say here, these are not theological verses that they have theological mm. dimensions they have something to say about the prophet and they are ultimately him however i am arguing that any fair-minded person studying islam and its history should look at a verse like this as a historical account regardless whether they believe this was authored by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or someone else because if that wasn't the case, we would have had a problem. The Prophet ﷺ, he would have been confronted. People would have said, the Quran you've, you, you say is from Allah, is saying things that are not 
true, it would have basically undermined his message. Mm, mm. So that's something very important to um, raise here. Now, those who've studied leadership, uh, read about leadership, mm. understand that there are a variety of leadership styles. Um, and also there are different kind of, um, not more than one kind of um, framework for labeling, categorizing styles of leadership. Mm. Uh, and they, they use a variety of terms at, time, at times, those kind of styles overlap. The, the description I like to apply uh, or describe uh, the leadership of the Prophet والسلام, with is uh, what I call, uh, but there's, there's a style, well-known style leadership is called situational leadership, where the leader is um, um, capable of using a variety of styles depending an, on the situation and what it needs. Mm -hmm. So they call it situational leadership. Mm -hmm. Now what I, just to make it more specific to the Prophet Sallallahu I like to call it principled situational leadership because the Prophet والسلام, was guided, was guided, was restricted if you like in terms of what he could do because he had to operate within those values set of the values that he was representing uh, so uh, when even though he had the freedom of choosing whatever style he thought was suitable for a particular situation whatever he did was guided by those principles that he was conveying what kind of underline his message again had he to go against those, even in certain circumstances, not always, he would have undermined his own authority. Mm -hmm. His own message would mm -hmm. have been undermined. Yeah. So I'm gonna start uh, by picking the very first few words from the verse and says, It's by mercy from Allah. Uh, you have been gentle with them. The word, the Arabic word, linter, uh, linter, lean, lean uh, means lenient, means gentle, uh, means flexible. These are kind of the words um, that, you know, um, um, this term um, conjures up uh, when it's mentioned. And when we look at the at the way the Prophet ﷺ managed people and dealt with people, he was always gentle in the way he instructed, even with the most serious matters. Yeah. Uh, there are instances where he had to intervene and be really firm and say, this is acceptable, this is not. But even when he did that, he did that in the most gentle all, uh, but effective as well. Why? He was never um, rude or any anything like that. Um, and there are a number of um, kind of hadith, if I may actually share here. That's one of them, which again kind of expands on what we're talking about. Inna Allah lam yabathni muannitan wala mutaannitan walakin baathni muallimen muyassara. Allah has not sent me to cause hardship or be uncompromising. Rather, He sent me as a teacher and to make things easy. Now, 
of course, we all know um, the, uh, the 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 verse. Uh, you have a great moral character. The, this verse is a general verse. talks about khuluq in general, the character in general. The verse we're discussing kind of gives us details, certain elements uh, of this general Term, this general terms of khuluq or, or character or moral uh, character. And another hadith that I would like to quote here is I have been sent to complete the noble manners. This is in Bayhaqi, the first one, Sahih Muslim. Um, this is again one hadith that's actually reported in um, by many um, in many compilations of, of hadith, um, slightly different makaram um, al-akhlaq. At times, the wording is slightly different. And um, what what, he, what he's talking about here, he isn't claiming that there was there were no moral values, there was nothing at all. No, he's talking the utemim to complete. So the Prophet وسلم, is talking about taking those moral values to, if you like, to the maximum. Mm. taking them to a level that uh, was never seen before. Mm. And then he says as well, um, The more complete believers in faith are mm. those who are best in manners. This, is, uh, this comes from, uh, uh, from uh, Abu Daud. Now, there's actually something kind of related to the subject, but it's a bit marginal, but I would like to mention it. I've seen and I've heard, I've read, and I'm pretty sure many other people have, have kind of come across these kind of accusations or at times uh, questions about um, the, the position of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is kind of taking them to a higher level. Uh, well, do we kind of discriminate between uh, pr between the messengers? This does seem to be kind of uh, different to what we read or in the Quran and, and elsewhere. And I'm going to try to uh, kind of uh, would like to explain this in in a little bit of detail here. The Quran uses two different concepts and terms. The first one is favoring some messengers over others. So this is one ayah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. تلك الرسل فضلنا بعضهم على بعض منهم من كلم الله ورفع بعضهم درجات وأتينا عيسى بن مريم البينات وأيدناه بروح القدس. Those messengers, we favored some over others. Among them were those to whom Allah spoke. And he uh, raised some of them in, deg in degree. And we gave Jesus, the son of Mary, clear proofs and supported him with the Holy Spirit. So the Quran uh, does talk about the fact that the Rusul, the messengers, were, were not all of the same spiritual standing. Some of them, some of them had, of course, scriptures. Some of them didn't. Some of them had miracles. Some of them probably less so, etc. But some of them were closer to him than others. So the concept of differentiation in terms of closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, spiritual standing, 
is is in the Quran. But this is different from dividing them or making them kind of taking this side of one prophet against another. So the, this is one verse, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. آمَنَ الرَّسُولُ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّهُ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ كُلٌّ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَالرَّسُولِهِ لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِنْ رَسُولِهِ The messenger has believed in what was revealed to him from his Lord, and so have the believers. All of them have believed in Allah and his angels and his books and his messengers, saying, we make no division or differentiate between any of his messengers. So these two kind of Related but different actually concept, fadbalna, wanufarraq, favoring, and uh, making kind of divisions. So in the Quran, uh, messengers can be of different uh, spiritual standing, but we are as Muslims required that we follow, accept them all, believe in them all, and accept they are part of one uh, and the same message. So I just wanted to highlight this because I've seen it um, discussed by some people. Um, after the verse confirms the leniency of the Prophet then it goes on to kind of confirm it by denying what he wasn't. Had you been rude and hard-hearted, they would have dispersed from around you. They would have left you. Al-fadh, the word fadh in Arabic, for those who might want to kind of uh, know what the word is, is rude, rudeness. So being kind of quite uh, discourteous, using harsh words, etc. And ghalid al-qalb means uh, hard, hard-hearted. That's effectively what uh, what it means. So. What do you have here in the kind of second segment of the verse is again a confirmation of what was mentioned earlier uh, about his gentleness uh, and leniency. Now, this gentleness is the product of mercy because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It's by mercy from Allah you have been. Uh, gentle, lenient with them. That concept, that mer mercy is kind of this leniency, which is part of mercy, is, is part of the overall description of him as a mercy to uh, alamin, to all people, to the whole, to all worlds. And so he, he, he was not a kind of a mercy only to certain people, to the Arabs or to people of that time. He's described as mercy, mercy to, every, to everybody. Muslim scholars kind of disagreed on what that exactly meant. Some mm. of them thought he was mercy, of course, to all believers. Believers benefited from his message, so he uh, was uh, a mercy to them. But others also uh, argued that he is actually mercy not only to Muslims, he contributed to kind of uh, even in raising the moral standards, if you like, not only among uh, Muslims, but only uh, outside. We know all of us from our personal experiences of a lot of non-Muslims who learned from Muslims. Uh, 
who learned beautiful things from Islamic history. That all ultimately goes back to the Prophet ﷺ, and you can trace it back to this description of him being a mercy to everybody, to the, to the whole world. And I, I would like also to uh, share here um, in, on, on kind of a slide. So this is a hadith. Uh, one day, Sayyidah Aisha was riding on a camel uh, and she stroked the camel. A camel. Uh, it looks like maybe too hard or something. At what point the Prophet وسلم, spoke to her and he said, that's from Sahih Muslim. You must have kindness. When kindness is in something, it adorns it. And when it's removed from something, it leaves it flowed. So that an example of the Prophet being gentle and being kind to animals in this particular case, not only uh, human beings. And... Um, this is another hadith in the same kind of similar meaning comes for Muwatta of Malik. Inna Allaha tabarak wa ta'ala rafiqun yuhibbu al-rifq wa yarda bihi wa yu'inu alayhi ma la yu'inu ala al-unth. Allah, blessed and high is he, is kind and loves kindness. The word, the Arabic word is rifq, which means kindness. And is satisfied with it. He gives when, uh, uh, he gives when it's used help to achieve its goals that he does sorry that he does not have missed the word not there he does not give in the case case of violence there's another um another kind of um, hadith or um, actually uh, well-known um story which i think is in al-bukhari uh, the prophet sallam, was talking to the companions again teaching them uh, he told them about uh, somebody who was a man who was um, very thirsty in a kind of desert-like place and then uh, saw a well. So went into the well, drank until he was satisfied. He got up then, climbed up uh, out of the well just to see a dog uh, panting, thirsty. And uh, so he looked at him and said, and he thought for himself, these are the words of the Prophet I'm paraphrasing here. And he thought for himself, well, this dog was just like exactly how I was. So he went down the well again, used his footwear, and then took some water, then uh, held it in his teeth and climbed up and then gave it to the dog. Uh, and then the Prophet ﷺ commented and he said, for that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thanked him <clears throat> and forgave him. And uh, so the companions asked him, um, the word is in Arabic, um, what does it mean even with animals? And he replied and he said, In every soul, every living creature, there's a reward. Mm -hmm. So if you help a living creature, there's a reward there. He was replying to their question because that was a dog. It wasn't even um, a human being. Um, and obviously, when we remember the hadith I mentioned earlier, when Allah, when the Prophet ﷺ says, 
to complete noble manners. When he says that, then surely he is talking in general terms here, talking about everybody and everywhere. Now, it, it is this when we move to the next part of the of the verse. We don't need a slide there, just because it's kind of two three words, and uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Had you not been so and so, min they would have dispersed. They would have left you." And I would like to kind of stop a little at those words because they are very significant. So, who were around him? The people who were around him were Ali, Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, his wives, the people who are closest to him. These are the people who witnessed the Quran being revealed. They listened to him uh, reading the Quran and commenting on the Quran. So we can fairly say they were impacted by the Quran more than anyone else. Mm. Not even people living in the area who were not that close to him. Being close to him meant that they saw his miracles. They experienced his miracles firsthand. We did a program at some point a few months ago, Paul, um, on that for viewers who might be interested. Mm. Yet, yet, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us here, even with the Quran, experiencing the Quran, and witnessing those miracles, you, Muhammad, you would not have even kept those around you, yeah. even with this, had it not been by the mercy that gave you those unique, special manners. Mm -hmm. Because of those, because of those, these people stuck around you. The people who came became Muslims and uh, followed him. And like you find when we talk about leadership and in the business world and, you know, in, in, in the world in general, um, a leader, usually a leader of organization, <clears throat> the organization, those people who are led by him have some interest in there. Either they're either employees being paid for that or they share the same <clears throat> message, etc. And they join them. And that happened to be a leader <clears throat> who maybe who may, would, would have had who would have come after another leader, another leader will come after him. Now, that is not the case uh, with, with the Sahaba we are talking about, the companions. These are people who had no nothing to gain. If anything, they lost big time for many, many years. Yeah. What on earth could have kept him with him? It was one misery after another, if you want, in, in worldly terms, Yet spiritually, they they were happy. They were they 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 found paradise on earth by being with him. And the point here is that even those who experienced the Prophet Sallam, the Quran, um, the power of the Quran, the influence of the Quran, and the miracles, the supernatural, would not have stayed with him if he was rude. Mm, if he did not treat them gently mm. and with <clears throat> kindness. And of course, that was necessary. Why was that? Because not only because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always teaches us 
the best of behaviors and that's what he demands of us but when in the context of leadership it becomes a different thing altogether because a leader can work only through what we call in modern terms his top team so as a leader of an organization you have a top team top team is the layer just underneath you whom you have selected carefully because for different skills experiences you want and you manage them but then all your work all your planning all your discussions uh, strategies they're all done with your team that's the team that's going to ultimately carry out whatever plan you have doesn't matter how good and big your plan if your team is in there to deliver your top team well nothing is going to happen so the point here is that this isn't only about people being around him uh, learning from him you know um, able to sit with him and listen to the quran but they, they are needed actually for the mission itself yeah. they are at the heart of delivering Mm-hmm. what his mission was about. If we go to the slides, uh, Paul, please. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to look at the verse in a different way, the same verse. And I'm going to look at these two parts. This is the first part. We've seen the verse. And... Um, <coughs> So if we look at the first part, what does it do? Well, it's describing attributes. It's describing characters, character. It's describing how the Prophet was. It is descriptive because that what he was like. So he was always like that. So it doesn't come uh, in the form of do so-and-so but is actually describing him here. We have other uh, verses in the Quran where it says, for for instance, um, in one verse it says, "Bilmu'minina ra'ufun rahim," to the believers, kind and merciful. Again, if you look at it, it's descriptive; it's not prescriptive. Mm. However, when we move to the <clears throat> second part. Of the verse now we're moving from being from descri- from descriptions uh, to prescriptive commands and indeed and, and i'm going to explain why is that there are actually five of them the first one for anhum pardon them the second stafford lahum ask for forgiveness for them the third seek counsel with them the fourth is to be firm when you make a decision and the last one is to put your trust in allah so the question is why the first part is descriptive the second is prescriptive because the first one is about his character what he was like the second is behavioral we don't always these do not always necessarily match or they can be delivered in different ways in this particular case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet والسلام, for instance, somebody can be can have can be merciful, uh, can have leniency, flexibility, not being rude, etc., but may not be very forgiving, may not hurt, may not reta- retaliate, may not do any of this, but may not be very forgiving. 
Mm. What he's telling, telling him here, no, you have to be forgiving. And these, this is the reason why I, I look at this. This is kind of one slide, if you like, that shows the richness of this verse in describing what the prophet was like and what his leadership style and behaviors were like. So I'm going to move now to discuss in detail the second part of the verse. So pardon them, fa'fu anhum. Pardoning and, um, is part of leadership because a leader has to build a team. A leader has to keep a team around him. And if a leader does not uh, forgive what happens, mistakes, etc., the leader then will just lose those people one after another all the time. There will be nobody staying around. He cannot build, he cannot develop that skills, those expertise, experiences and expertise that's required and that require actually duration. They require time. They require those living with the leader for a, a long period of time. And patterning is a requirement of leadership because, because for a variety of reasons. First of all, we... Are, Making mistake is a human. We as a human beings make mistakes all the time. That's the nature of what we are. We are so, so imperfect. That's what we are. So we make mistakes all the time. And I would like to read out one of the hadiths of the Prophet والسلام, very famous hadith. From a term every son of Adam sins and the best of sinners are the repentant. That's what he says. So we all make mistakes. So that was necessary for him to padding in them because they, in fact, if you read the Sierra, people who might not be familiar with the Sierra, they would be amazed at uh, mm. the number of errors, mistakes that were reported. Um, by companions, by close people who are close to the Prophet ﷺ, throughout different circumstances and how he dealt with them wisely and um, mercifully and pardoned them. And they, you know, stayed with him. And we will come across some of those later, later on. And we'll see the kind of major companions who were involved actually in, in such issues. The other thing to remember why pardoning as a leader is important is that when we make mistakes we make mistakes when we work when we do things when we are productive the more work we do the more mistakes we make and this is why it is it, 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 it we have to accept that these go hand in hand and if we as a leader and he was i'm pretty sure demanding of his of his companions because he was demanding of himself and he was demanding of them uh, because his mission was, he was also demanded by Allah to deliver the, the message. So that to, to be demanding mean, means to ask for work, for a lot of work, hard work, and to work hard and to work long hours and to work in difficult circumstances means to err, to make mistakes. Mm. And to make mistakes is then you have to, 
be willing as a leader to pardon those because at the end of the day, what they're giving you far, far outweighs those mistakes. So what they're producing is what you're after. You're not there to collect those mistakes. Those mistakes are gonna happen. You can't stop them. Also, we know that whenever you do any a new kind of work, creative work, you're more likely to make mistakes. Creativity is a form of learning. And that means we are a, a learner is somebody who makes most mistakes more than others. And also we know now, and this is kind of well established, everybody knows these days, mistakes are as we call them opportunities for learning. Mm. Mistakes aren't things to be condemned for. That, mm. That's not what mistakes are about. Most of our time, I, I keep on saying when I speak to people and even my writings at times I mention this, you learn a lot from failures and mistakes than learn from getting things right. Because getting mm. things right there's no incentive there to look for anything in you to change something. But when you make a mistake, that's when you look inside yourself and say, why did I do that? What was wrong with me? What was I thinking? And that's where this kind of self-development happened. That's where that self-scrutiny happened. Whether you're talking about your behavior with other people, your behavior within yourself, between you and between your, your Lord, or, that's where all development uh, and improvement happens. So no work, no mistakes, and uh, no action, but inaction and laziness is no option really here. Now, moving to the next, um, please stop me, Paul, if you want, if you've got any comments. Well, I'm learning so much here, it's fascinating. Sorry, carry on, please. And so the, we move to the second command here. Wastafir lahum. So ask forgiveness for them. Now, so he's just told them, so pardon them. What that means, at least some of what they did actually was serious, serious enough to require him to ask for forgiveness for them. So, and indeed we know that if somebody objected and insisted on objecting, let's say, to a command by the Prophet well, that is a serious mistake. That's how it described in the Quran, for instance. So some of these would have been probably serious to the point of being <coughs> objection to his instructions, that kind of thing. So he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, now, Let's stop there and just think about this and how much information is really in there, those three, four words. They wouldn't know if he is, if he asked for forgiveness for them or not, would they? They wouldn't. Mm -hmm. They would have no idea. That's between him and between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what's interesting here is that we see two behaviors. One of them is visible. When he pardoned them, that's a visible reaction they were aware of. They knew that they made mistake, whatever it was, whoever was uh, who made the mistake, and he would have pardoned them. And to pardon them, he had to have told them that that was wrong. Don't do it. This is the right thing. And we move on. So that's pardoning them. So pardon, to pardon them, it had to be done in a visible way. So that the person who made the mistake 
would know about it. But to staffer lahum, that happens between him and between his Lord. Um, now, staffer lahum means that he he actually not on he didn't need to do that as, as just to maintain the relationship with them, but because he was sincere about them, he he was invested in them as individuals as a human beings he wanted the best for them he did not want them just to follow him do what he what 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 he wanted of them etc padding in them would have done that uh, for him but to ask for forgiveness for them because he was interested in their spiritual development and their character not only in the way they deal with him as one of the muslims who followed him he, went, he wanted more. And that behavior also reflects his gratitude to them. And somebody might think, what? The Prophet وسلم, feeling gratitude? Yes, he did. He did. In fact, he said, The person who does not uh, thank people does not thank Allah. You can't, because very simple, think about it. We don't see Allah. We perceive him mentally. We think of him. We have to think and remember this is favor from him. This is from him. The water we drink, the food we have, etc. But that all, at the end of the day, you can always still relate some of these to people around you. So to think of Allah as be the ultimate giver, etc., requires a mindset. It requires some kind of profound thinking at times. At times it's it comes easier and faster, but at times it requires thinking here. Now, the what what the Prophet is telling us, we all uh, in our you know in all walks of life we come across and deal with a lot of people who actually help us one way or another. If I don't feel thankful, grateful to that person who I have no doubt helped me, I have no doubt exists and I can see him, her, deal with him. Her. If I actually don't feel that sense of gratitude to that human being, I'm kidding myself when I just sit and say, if I can't, if I can't, and that's what he's telling us. He is the one who thanked God like no one did. Muhammad, Ahmed, and it's all derived from hamd, from praise, from thanking. <clears throat> so that's why it lahum it, it shows talks about them, but also talks about his generosity, talks about the kind of character he was. And let's remember, and it also came in the form of a command. It's actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demanded that. That's important. A command, of course, is what turns into natural inclinations over time. So that's how we develop spiritually. Start by being told, do this, don't do that. If we follow that, and then over time, that becomes uh, second nature to us. The third command is washawirhum fil amr. Seek counsel with them. And this is a very, um, again, extremely important uh, from the leadership point of view. A leader 
requires, as I mentioned earlier, a team of <clears throat> people who have different experiences, um, different um, kind of skills, to work with him, to allow him to, deliv to deliver whatever message he had. And the Prophet والسلام, had to bring to him, kind of keep around him, certain people. There's no question that hundreds and hundreds of people wanted to come close to him and to be as close as possible. In fact, there are some verses in the, uh, in the Quran, which we can talk about some other time, which kind of suggest that. But obviously there, there was like core um, kind of um, team that was around him all the time who he worked with. Now, shower him, why would he tell him, shower him, um, seek counsel with them, uh, consult with them? Because these people have different experiences, as they may have some ideas about how to solve a particular problem, how to approach a particular issue that the Prophet didn't think of. The Prophet just did not have all the solutions to all questions and all didn't have the answers to all, uh, all questions. He didn't. So he had to seek counsel. He had to ask uh, for advice uh, from uh, people around him. And and the, we also know, and this is kind of um, how... Uh, leadership is understood today. A leader has no monopoly over the best decisions. A leader isn't somebody who knows everything. A leader is somebody who's really clever in getting the best out of the best. So get the best and get the best out of the best and you are a brilliant leader. And that's what the Prophet ﷺ did. Brought them together. And that is... Um, a form of, a, there's one particular hadith, obviously there's the ayah that everybody probably knows that I should mention still, uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised the believers and said, وَأَمْرُهُمْ شُورًا بَيْنَهُمْ who, consult, who conduct their affairs by consultation among themselves. Uh, this is uh, Surah Shura, um, 42, uh, verse 38, for those who would like to check it out, but it's very well-known uh, verse. Um, and there's another uh, hadith, again, in the similar kind of um, meaning. No people will seek counsel without being guided to the best of their affairs. Uh, that is mentioned uh, in Al-Tabari, in his tafsir, actually, and is mentioned um, in by Ibn Hajar for those uh, who know uh, the book. So, Seeking, uh, consulting uh, with the companions meant that the Prophet ﷺ made them feel they were stakeholders in the whole affair, in the mission that he had to deliver. Um, that is usually called uh, participative leadership. So leadership where you actually kind of help uh, or invite uh, the people you lead to, sh to participate in the decision-making process, in the brainstorming, in all of these things that ultimately lead to the decisions and actions you as leader then carry out and, and choose, choose to do. There's a second also function here for uh, this form of leadership, this style of leadership. 
which is developing the people you work with. The Prophet ﷺ was not going to live forever. He knew that. Everybody knew that. His mission wasn't to do what he can in his life and forget about it. That wasn't his mission. His mission was the last uh, book, the last message. He was the last prophet. He had to make sure that his mission endured. He had to make sure, he had to lay the foundations for what was going to happen after he, he was gone. That meant investing on those people that were closest to him, the people <clears throat> that he was effectively leading and developing. By making them part of what he was doing, his thinking, he wasn't only ultimately choosing the best course of action for whatever he needed to do, but he was also helping those people develop their own leadership skills, which might not, which may be needed later on after when, whenever in whatever context after he was gone. Obviously we have, history gives us a lot of actual examples there. Uh, we all know about uh, when the alliance of disbelievers came to Medina and they besieged the Medina. The Prophet ﷺ, um, Salman al-Farisi, one of the companions, suggested to the Prophet ﷺ that they dig a trench around um, the, the city, uh, which he, uh, you know, uh, accepted as, as good advice. And indeed, it was played a role, of course, in um, foiling the attempt uh, to attack the Muslims. And in another instance, uh, when the Muslims went on the way to bed, just before bed, they actually camped at a water source earlier than bed itself. And um, he was of the opinion that they should, um, uh, sorry, um, I, I went to a different event. Uh, the, the incident uh, I would like to talk about is actually uh, with Uhud, not uh, uh, Badr. So in Uhud, when they knew that the disbelievers uh, were coming to kind of uh, seek revenge, he believed, the Prophet ﷺ, and some of his companions believed that it's better that they stayed in, the Med in, in Medina. Uh, so basically where they lived, etc., they knew the place very well and then forced the disbelievers mm. to come and attack them. And they thought that would be provide better defense. Mm. There was another opinion by the rest of the companions who thought, no, if we sit there and wait for them, the least that would do that would do is to embolden those. And they would think we are afraid of them and they will actually come even more motivated. And that's not going to be in our interest. And he ch did change his mind. Mm -hmm. He did change his mind and he went with the other opinion. And then they left the Medina and they went and we all know they met ultimately uh, mm -hmm. at the mountain of Uhud, which I presume, mm -hmm. uh, Paul, you must have visited recently. Oh, yeah, now you mention it, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, that, so that was um, uh, the, uh, another example of him um, mm. taking the advice uh, of a companion, in fact, against the opinion that he first thought of. Mm -hmm. The fourth command 
is actually linguistically isn't a command because it says uh, when you make a, a firm decision now if you think about it it's talking kind of describing what happens but indeed this this particular uh, clause is is surrounded by three commands the beginning we spoke about and it's followed by another so the context of all of this makes it a command effectively Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling him be firm when you make a decision be firm now when when a, a, um, a decision is made it doesn't matter a decision-making process can take days at times months depending on what it is but when a decision decision is made one critical attribute of leadership is that the leader has to believe in that decision mm. and carry it um, carry it out and not keep on kind of questioning his own conviction and his own decision in the case of the prophet sallallahu alaihi he knew that he has to consult he has to seek advice but ultimately whatever once he decided allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there to help him and will support him and he won't and he should not uh, keep on kind of going backward and forward etc so that's why it was important for him to be brave uh, and implement the decision and not um, be kind of continue to hesitate about it then once all of that done he told them and gave them the fifth, fifth command فتوكل على الله uh, put your trust in Allah now the Prophet this is the kind of command that you don't find actually if you study leadership mm. in any institution today because the Prophet wasn't only a worldly leader he was a spiritual leader he led by Allah for Allah and he had to trust in Allah mm -hmm. so all of that is then has to be based <clears throat> and built on the firm foundation <clears throat> sorry of trust in Allah I think this is a really important point it's not just a spiritual add-on this in in the West particularly unfortunately modernity uh, which is very materialist in its outlook in terms of organization uh, and and so on this last component trusting in in god um is missing it, it's simply lost so we used to have it in the west you know during the the era of christendom i suppose maybe afterwards but you know when when we when we go out we say in the name of god in inshallah or um you know trusting god um we used to do that in the west we don't anymore and that i said because of this change in uh, in the worldview that we now inhabit with so-called modernity which is very materialist and and this this is not good because we're, we're losing contact with the source of goodness, the source of power, uh, the source of wisdom and guidance and so on. So this is not just for this particular prophet, of course, it's, he is meant as an example. The Quran is, is teaching us this, um, that leaders today should trust in God. And that would be the reconnection of our civilization with the transcendent reality, which we cut in the West. Uh, whether it be corporations or governments or organizations at any level, um, we no longer put our trust in God. Uh, and, and this is part of, I think, the decline, um, the precipitous decline of the, our world, uh, that we've lost touch with the transcendent spiritual source of, of everything. And so that this, this verse that you, you've chosen um, from the Quran is, is very, very significant and speaks powerfully to 
the healing and redemption of our world today uh, in terms of the leadership of our countries, nations, corporations, and so on, organizations in general. Absolutely, Paul. I think what happened, as you say, um, unfortunately, <clears throat> we lost or, you know, um, people who made those kind of changes uh, lost the good with the bad. So everything was thrown out of the door uh, when people reacted um, to issues with uh, Christianity, for instance, scriptures, whatever. So what they did, they actually threw God with that yeah. as well. Not yeah. they, they, they got rid of Jesus himself. They mm -hmm. got they got rid of the concept of scripture. And that is, and the other thing is, even I would say a lot of religious people uh, that exists obviously among Muslims as well. We don't. We're not only required. Trust isn't. Um, I think we kind of we think we think of every now and then. Trust is like any everything else we do. Muslims has to become part of our default way of thinking. It's there all the time. The reason we have those five prayers, for instance, the reason we have those reminders, try to make sure we're connected. So there is no, no disconnection that lasts more than this much. Of course, Allah says as well, but the remembrance of Allah is even bigger, as in bigger than prayer, because it's a broader term. So it's kind of staying in touch, keeping that awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, part of which is trust is important for all Muslims as well, of course. So it's not only something that we think about it every now and then as. Uh, yeah, and it's tragic, but one of the, the, the most beautiful phrases, uh, philosophically speaking, even in, in Islam, Allah uh, Akbar, uh, God is greater than, uh, is now associated in the West with terrorism. You know, uh, Akbar. You know, this is kind of fearful slogan that uh, people associate. They don't understand what it means. Of course, they have no idea what this slogan means. They see it as a slogan um, shrieked by extremists, and uh, you know, off goes the bomb. But this is this is such uh, a demonic, uh, you know, reversal of the reality, which is the proclamation of God's greatness that He is greater than anything that we can conceive of. Um, so that when I first discovered the true meaning of that phrase, I was struck by its its great beauty uh, and how salutary it is for a, a good understanding of our createdness uh, and, and the glory of the creator um but it's just how language has been debased even uh oh, absolutely uh, well it's very sad anyway absolutely absolutely so <clears throat> now um to recap yeah. um before moving on to a couple of other points the uh, the 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 verse we spoke about is not the only verse that talks about the character of the Prophet of course not. Uh, however, it's actually very rich in meaning. And I, to the point that, like I say, I prefer and like to call it uh, the Muhammadi leadership verse or the verse of uh, the leadership of Muhammad because it speaks a lot uh, about him. It consists of those two parts. The first one about his moral character and the second about uh, behavioral uh, uh, kind of behaviors that he was commanded uh, to undertake. Now, one of the things we mentioned earlier is, is seeking counsel. So, and he, he did that. Now, it's very important here to differentiate um, when counsel uh, could be sought and he was, he sought advice. That happened only at the times of Ijtihad. So when there was no text when there was no revelation, textual, 
or non-textual. It's at that point in time when actually he sought advice. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him, when you're thinking, trying to make up your mind, you're not sure I haven't told you to do something in a specific way, mm. you have to discuss uh, with your companions, the people you trust, once and then when that 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 kind of uh, decision is made that's it it it's made now uh, one example uh, i would cite here is um, there was a companion called uh, uh, hubab al-hubab bin al-mundar and uh, when when the muslims went to to bed they uh, they first um, camped at a, at a water source uh, that's further from bed al-hubab asked the Prophet ﷺ, he was a bit hesitant to offer his opinion. He had a different opinion. Mm. And he told them, uh, was this by revelation, O Messenger of Allah, was it by opinion? So was it, and he told them, no, it was my own opinion, at which point he volunteered an alternative. And he said, actually, I think there is the water sources uh, at Badr are better to camp at and there was some strategic kind of uh, move uh, for doing that, at which point the Prophet ﷺ took the advice and then the Muslims went and camped uh, there at the, at the Badr uh, water. So the first point uh, to, to make is that um, uh, this seeking uh, counsel happens only at the time of Ishtiyat. The second is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them and we, when you make a firm decision, then put your trust in Allah. Uh, he is required to make a firm decision. Now, he sought advice and he decided. And he sought advice because he was at a kind of phase of jihad. Once the decision has been made, that decision, the Prophet's decision, becomes authority. It has the authority of the book itself mm. is had it it has the full authority of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once that's done no objection you can argue discuss etc while he's consulting once he said that's it I've decided this is what we're going to do everybody has to accept this being the decision of Allah because it's being done by the by his messenger there's one particular verse that I would like to remind myself and remind everybody of. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرَ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمْ الْخِيرَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَحْصِ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ ضَلَّ ضَلَالًا مُبِينًا. A translation. It is not for a believing man or a believing woman when Allah and His Messenger has decided on a matter to have any choice about their affair. Whoever disobeys Allah and his messenger has certainly strayed into manifest error. So this is very important to distinguish between these two. <clears throat> um, the Hudaybiyah the, the, the Treaty gives us a very kind of uh, nice example uh, that kind of builds on everything we've discussed so far. So I'm going to kind of uh, quote I'll kind of recount what happened there and how this is related to what we've just discussed. So um, the Prophet decided in the year 6th uh, towards the end to go for Umrah and um, 
so he uh, asked the uh, Ansar and Muhajirin, those who are from uh, Mecca and the people of Medina to come with him and Arabs as well. He wanted some Arabs, non-Muslims to come with him because he was kind of unsure about Quraysh and how Quraysh would react to that. But what he did, uh, they took in some um, accounts what they call travel weapons. So this, they are not heavily kind of armed because they are not going out to fight. Um, they got to Dhul um, Hulayfa, which is, I think, probably where Ihram is done usually. I don't know whether you did your Ihram there uh, near um, Medina. Uh, and then, uh, uh, the, so they basically entered the state of Ihram. So clearly they are not going to fight. And that's, they wanted to go, wanted to do Umrah. However, the Quraysh got wind of, what, of that. Uh, and he wasn't kind of necessarily going to surprise them, but he was a bit um, apprehensive about their action. And indeed, they didn't take particularly well to that idea. What they thought, they said, well, if he's going to come now, that would look to the rest as if he forced himself on us because we didn't want him. We didn't invite him. He didn't discuss it with us. We're not having that. So they sent uh, a delegate to the Prophet and that's at the waters of Hudaybiyyah and they started talking about this. And they said, at the, at the end they, they kind of agreed a deal whereby the Prophet would go back, one of the terms, uh, to Medina and not perform Umrah in that particular year, but he would come then the following year to perform Umrah. The Prophet agreed, the treaty was written by Ali, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and obviously, um, Sahaba, the companions, were around. When the, he agreed, uh, some companions did not like that agreement. One of them was Omar. And Abu Bakr took a different um, approach. He actually criticized Omar and reminded him and he told him, this is the prophet of Allah, this is the messenger of Allah. But it looks like it was a big deal, actually. Quite a number of Sahaba did not like what happened. Um, and there's some historical background I don't get into just now. Uh, so what happened, he was, he was, he became very sad. He went to the tent of Um Salama, his wife, who was with him. And uh, he told her, he told her what happened. He told her, because what he said, he said, we're going back, let's um, slaughter the sacrifices and let's shave our he heads. But because of those people who objected to him, he didn't do that. And obviously there was a bit of commotion, you know, chaos a bit. So he went to his wife and he was very sad. And she told him, why do you care about him? Just do what your Lord wanted you to do. And that actually reassured him in some way. And he came out, he didn't say anything, he went, and did his sacrifice and he shaved his head not saying anything didn't say anything to those he performed what he wanted to do when everybody looked at him everybody followed suit hmm. everybody did exactly the same yeah he hmm. didn't punish them he didn't dismiss them he didn't banish them he didn't criticize them and he also took the advice of a woman just for those, so it's important to remember, it was his wife actually <laughs> who advised him to do that. Um, now, 
One last point I would like to make, Paul, here, and I think it's more of a, a kind of start of, a, of, of an idea concept that I think we all, historians in particular, but Muslims in general, need to think of. So the, those companions developed and learned from the Prophet Sallallahu and under his leadership. But we often, when we think of them, I think we think of them as being um, kind of in a particular state that doesn't change. So they were this way mm. and they remain this way. And this is the new, call it concept, etc. I would like to suggest here. here. Mm -hmm. The companions, the Sahaba with the Prophet are not exactly the same companions after the Prophet. And let me explain what I mean here. And this is not, I'm not talking here about um, kind of uh, criticizing the Sahaba. That's not what I mean. I'm actually praising the leadership of the Prophet ﷺ. Because if we say they were exactly the same after he'd gone, we're effectively saying his leadership did not add much to them, mm. did not change them, did not improve them, did not help them. That is not the case. Uh, the reason I chose this particular event from Hudaybiyah because it shows that even Sahaba, um, you know, uh, senior Sahaba, let's call them, senior companions, uh, did make mistakes. And at times there were serious mistakes and they needed the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to be around, to guide them. So we as historians and Muslims in general, when we study history, we actually have to also take that into account. Uh, mm -hmm. Sahaba, of course, uh, human beings made mistakes, make mistakes, but they were great. They were the people um, who built uh, and the, the foundations of Islam was built using them, of course. That's what they did. And they what what they and they delivered the mission with the Prophet. So this is not about the Sunni Shia divide, but I think we all as Muslims, as historians in particular, when we study, we have actually to learn the question, ask yourself as as, as, a, as a historian, had the prophet been there, what would what would what would he, he would have said? What what would have happened? Would it have been the same, etc.? And again, just a question for us to remind us of what he did, the 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 value, the leadership, the training, the teaching that he delivered to everybody, and of course, um, first and foremost, those people who were the closest. To him and uh, who delivered and continued continued to deliver uh, his message after his coming mm. thank you thank you very much indeed that, that was fascinating there's so many lessons there i'm not going to recapitulate what you've said of course um but uh, that particular verse has always struck me as, as a very beautiful telling insight into uh the prophet upon whom be peace uh, and how he why he was so successful it's often overlooked i think you know, we look at his military victories or, or his or the revelation and so on. And of course, all that's very, very true. But 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 this unique fact that his companions right from the beginning would be Ali or his his, his wife, Khadija or, uh, you know, Umar and, and Uthman and so on. Um, not, not only did they embrace his message, of course, um, but they stuck with him or, as you say, all the way through those incredibly difficult trials and the battle of the deprivation, the hunger, the persecution in Mecca, of course, and then the, the wars. Well, on the they used to protect him in a war, in battle. They used actually to surround him, wow. to effectively offer themselves right. uh, to the swords uh, yeah. of the enemy to protect him.
You're well, what I'm right. saying is that all this was voluntary. I mean, they, they didn't kind of, <laughs> you know, they weren't born into it, obviously. They paid for it. They actually paid with their lives. Yeah, and, and so this incredible, what the, the, the prophet elicited, that's the right word, elicited the, the affection and loyalty and commitment of... Um, <clears throat> Uh, of their very lives to an extraordinary degree it wasn't like a nine-to-five job it wasn't oh well we sign up here no they put their lives on the line again and again and again or right up to to the end and and th this mere fact if i can put it as a mere fact which is not as i say usually highlighted that, that the battles are or the revelation or this and that nevertheless speaks volumes about the prophet and about what he was really like the fact that they did stick with him and as far as i know none of them fell away um e even some of the peripheral one or two sahaba that did came back um, and they mm -hmm. did not change at all that's what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says right so I, I think this is this is something that is really uh helpful uh, as you have done to explore this and uh to to look into it in more detail it's a remarkable testimony to <clears throat> and it also of course bears witness to the authenticity i think of the prophet's ministry if you've been a charlatan or a fraud or after greed or uh, glory and all this stuff um people most people are not stupid. They can tell after a while when you hang around someone, you know, this person is motivated by greed. They're motivated by glory, vanity or whatever. People can tell ultimately, but no one ever thought that of the prophet. And also, Paul, to him. add to that, those descriptions of him, those yeah. attributes, that character in a very, very unusual environment. That mm -hmm. was not your standard Mr. Average there. That's not how people behaved at the time. And mm -hmm. um, the, the the standards of behavior, the way they treated each other, etc., was very, very different. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about Bedouins being generous. Apart from that, they didn't have much really. In fact, the term Arab uh, means that the Bedouins and used in the Quran is quite in a negative way. And the, the we, we all read a lot about their practices at the time. So he stood out. I mean, even before, of course, he was prepared. He was already prepared because we all know he used to be called Asadiqul Amin, the truthful one and the trusted one. And that was before, before yeah. the, the and mm. you can see that he was mm. kind of shaped in that way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, was nafsi, I made you for myself. Right. You're under our watchful eyes. That right. doesn't mean only from the point he became prophet. He mm. was developed. He was being brought up to become there. So when he came to that point, everybody looked. Mm. That's why at times they accused him of being majnoon, madman. They didn't really look at him. What's wrong with you? Because mm -hmm. for, for the, some of them, at least, would have been very difficult even to say lied because he never lied. He was known for that even before before his ministry. Mm. And this is something in, in the West, just to conclude, really, that uh, people obviously don't really grasp in, in, in general. And that is the great affection and love that Muslims have for the Prophet Muhammad. Um, and it, it, it's not just kind of an abstract love. It's a very personal, passionate love because of his character because of his teaching, because of the way he treated people, uh, they feel that he is, one can relate to him. One can, you know, he's not someone who will repel or 
alienate them or, or oh he's just too good we could you know, he's someone who would understand them who would be on their side and he elicits this great affection uh, uh literally billions of people on the planet and that's something that people in the west i don't think get really <laughs> they, they don't really appreciate this is the the hidden secret in that sense i think of islam i mean it's not really hidden but to the west it's opaque they, they don't see it they don't understand why but the the evidence the reasons are there um as you have so ably um explained today and uh it's the man himself who draws people to him i think absolutely. even today even though we've never physically met him obviously. absolutely mm, it's extraordinary absolutely. i think about it um Anyway, that's a wonderful, um, wonderful time. Thank you very much indeed for your presentation. Uh, and um, there's much there to ponder on and to um, j just to really, uh, it's just an amazing human being anyway. But anyway, but thank you so much for your time. Until thank next you, Paul. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.